0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. In this show, I'll be telling you all about Jamaica Inn, a place that I recently spent a weekend in. The famous creaking sign sways back and forth over the cobbled patio, and the warm glow of light guides you inside from the never-ending darkness of the moor. There aren't many pubs in Cornwall that have a history and reputation like the Jamaica Inn. It is often commonly thought that the inn takes its name from the smugglers who smuggled rum into the country from Jamaica and stored it on the premises. However, the name of the inn is actually said to come from the important local Trelawney family of landowners, of which two family members served as governors of Jamaica in the 18th century. There has been an inn on this part of the Moor since the mid-1500s, but the building you see today has stood here since the 1750s. The Jamaica Inn was extended in 1778 to become a coaching inn for very weary travellers who would need a place to stay on the long journeys, much like today's service stations, if you will. Some of the travellers that stopped here were less than savoury characters and would use the inn to hide the contraband that was looted on the shores. There were roughly about a hundred secret routes in the area they could use to move around their stolen goods. A famous 18th century economist defined a smuggler as A person who would have been in every respect an excellent citizen had not the laws of his country made that a crime which nature never meant to be so. word of the week. And for this week's word, I have the pleasure in giving you bugging, which is Victorian slang for money taken by bailiffs not to arrest a person. And now back to Jamaica Inn on Bodmin Moor in Cornwall which eventually got a reputation as a dangerous hive of criminals and the authorities wouldn't venture there as it was so exposed. At this point in time, the inn was completely isolated and there was nothing around it for 20 miles. It was the perfect hiding place. But later, a church, parsonage and school were added by the proprietor of the land, Mr Cod, to satisfy the area's residents. Bodmin Moor was also unknown territory, and a dangerous place in itself. Many lives have been taken by people getting stuck in the bog, and dying from exposure. So, to be honest, it really wasn't worth the risk to go out there. Now though, that isolation and stark landscape has a surreal beauty in itself, and when the sun is shining, like it was when I visited, it is stunning. The Jamaican Inn was notorious for its links with smugglers and other criminals, including wreckers. Now, during the 18th century, as much as half the illicit brandy smuggled into Britain was landed in Devon and Cornwall. So the inn's isolated location made it a perfect stopping place for smugglers, carrying their contraband good from a landing place on the coast. In the reign of both King George II and III in the 18th century, huge tax levies were introduced on imported goods. Items such as brandy, silks, tea, rum and gin faced a huge levy and some had increases of 250%. The money gained from these taxes were primarily used to fund the crown with the various battles going on at the time. So, if you were rich, the tax levies were a mere inconvenience, but for the poor, it meant you wouldn't survive. The fishmen had huge taxes on salt, which they needed to keep their fish as fresh as possible. And remember, during the long period of the 18th century Continental Wars, the shortage of able-bodied men for home service, coupled with official corruption, allowed smugglers to do pretty much as they liked. And so they carried on their job in open defiance of the law. The smugglers of the era took one precaution, not just for themselves, but to protect the locals. They made the villagers face the wall when they approached with their contraband. Then, if an individual smuggler was arrested later, the villagers could truthfully swear that they had not seen anything, because at the time, hearing was not evidence. Them that ask no questions isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. That was an extract from Rudyard Kipling's The Smuggler's Song. One Cornishman, John Carter, from Brege, was perhaps the most famous smuggler. His nickname was the King of Prussia, and a line of cannons protected his base near Land's End. To this day, the secret harbour he used is known as Prussia Cove. Another smuggler, known for his cruelty, Craw Coppinger, gave his name to some of the roads which converge on the headland of Steeplebrink Brink in Cornwall. Below this cliff is an almost inaccessible cove, and this is where Coppinger and his gang stored their contraband. <laughs> Word on the Street this isn't so much a road, but a place in Cornwall. I'm talking about Booby's Bay, a beach near Constantine Bay. Now get your minds out of the gutter, because this is actually named after the booby Bird. If you've ever been to Cornwall, you'll notice that a lot of place names and surnames begin with the letters T-R-E, tree, like Trelawney. Well, this is because tree in the Cornish language means a settlement or homestead, poll, a pond, lake or well, and pen, which is also Welsh and Cumbric, a hill or headland. And so, in an era of high taxes and poverty, fishermen and common labourers started to loot ships that wrecked on the shore and smuggle the contraband on board to sell onto traders in their communities. At one period in history, it was estimated that more illicit spirits were being smuggled into the country than came through London docks legally. This escalated and wreckers would even entice ships to shore with a false beacon or navigation light. Once the ship came into the bay and was wrecked on the rocks, the smugglers would loot the ship and some would kill the men on board, because the law in those days deemed it illegal to claim salvage from a wrecked ship if anyone on there was still alive. So, the law virtually condemned any survivors found to death. If you were in the illegal business of smuggling or wrecking, you'd find that it was a hanging offence, so it was a dangerous game to play. The participants would usually hide the contraband in caves along the shoreline or in the Cornish pubs away from the authorities. And so Cornwall became known as the haven of smugglers and it's thought that more than half of all smuggled brandy during this time landed on its shores. There is a day in 1930 that literature has a lot to be grateful for, because that was when author Daphne du Maurier became lost in dense fog while riding on the moors with a friend. They eventually dismounted and turned their horses loose in the hope that they would head for shelter. Thankfully, their horses were able to lead the lost pair to Jamaica Inn, where they were able to find shelter. While De Maurier was recovering at the inn, the innkeeper entertained her with tales of smugglers as well as a few choice ghost stories. This experience prompted De Maurier to write the novel Jamaica Inn, which tells the story of an orphan named Mary who is sent to live with her aunt and uncle, the landlord of Jamaica Inn, who has a connection to a smuggling ring based at the inn. The novel was du Maurier's first big literary success, and she went on to become one of Britain's best-loved writers. Authoring such classics as Frenchman's Creek and My Cousin Rachel. In 1939, her Jamaican novel was brought to the screen in a film by Alfred Hitchcock. The story was revived in 1984 in a television film starring Jane Seymour, and again, it was brought to life in a BBC drama series in 2014. When Daphne du Maurier died in 1989, the inn where her literary career was launched decided to honour her career and her connection with Cornwall. They built a special room, full of personal items and du Maurier's memorabilia. Over time, the collection of mementos grew, aided by donations from the du Maurier estate. The highlight of the room is the author's writing desk, on which you can see a packet of du Maurier's cigarettes, named after her father, the actor Sir Gerald de Maurier. There are family photos and personal items, including a suitcase and fan, brought from the author's home in Kilmarth. There are also several copies of her books, signed by de Maurier. The Daphne de Moray room forms part of the Smugglers Museum, housed within a wing of the famous inn, and boasting perhaps the best collection of historic smuggling exhibits in Britain. The museum helps bring to life the connection between Jamaica Inn and smuggling in Cornwall. As a sign outside the door says, the museum explores classical examples in the arts of concealment and evasion. We know that the increase in taxes to fund wars in Europe during the 18th century made items such as tea, tobacco, brandy and silk prohibitively expensive and on the flip side, making them very profitable to smuggle into Britain. Smuggling took place all over Britain, but an enormous amount of smuggled goods came ashore in Devon and Cornwall, notably at Boscastle, Tintagel, and Trebarwith on the north coast and Popero in the south. Smuggling became a very common occupation in Cornwall, aided by the fact that there were few law enforcement officers. And even if the smugglers were caught, they were likely to be treated with leniency by judges who were probably good customers for the smuggled goods. And so, because of its position, Jamaica Inn was the place where many of the smugglers stopped whilst transporting their goods further inland for dispersal to customers. The museum exhibits are incredibly fascinating, from a 1798 wanted poster to porcelain figures of smugglers. One of the interesting items there is a smuggler's scuffler, an iron tool used to make prints of a horseshoe in the sand, pointing the wrong direction for foolhardy pursuers. The collection of items used to conceal smuggled goods is incredible, with one example of a lady's corset with a hidden pouch for carrying jewels through customs. Another is a copy of the AA Member's Handbook, with the inner pages cut out to make hidden chambers. Perhaps the most sinister exhibit is a smuggler's skull, found at Abbey Burnfoot. The skull was discovered in hidden cellars beneath an old house, surrounded by iron chains. Clearly, the victim was chained up and left to die there. just had this piece of news in. A man in Bradley Stoke was abducted by aliens. They made him wash his hands, clean his room and eat his vegetables. Turns out he was on the mothership. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled and settle back to enjoy a selection of 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Whether you're a fan of cosy mysteries, horror, romantic comedies, science fiction or anything else you might find on the bookcase, being bookish is a great place to start. Join me, your host Ray, as I take a joyride through the books on my bookshelves and journey into new territories with recommendations every week. You may even hear a few interviews with authors along the way. Find every episode of Being Bookish wherever you find your podcasts. Back in the Day Facts And so we start with the 11th of February 1534 when Henry VIII of England is recognised as Supreme Head of the Church of England also on the 11th of February, but in 1958. English singer Michael Holliday was at number one in the UK singles chart with The Story of My Life. The song gave writers Bacharach and David their first UK number one hit. The 12th of February, 1946, saw the end of Operation Deadlight. This was the planned scuttling of the German U-boat fleet surrendered to the Allies at the end of World War II. And had started on the 25th of November 1945. The scuttling operations took place from Lizardsley, Northern Ireland, which had three boats sunk there, and Loch Ryan in Scotland, which had 86 boats. 116 U boats were scuttled northwest of Ireland. While some of the U boats were sunk in the pre selected locations, many others sank en route due to the very bad weather that hampered the operation. Also on the 12th of February, but in 1965, Malcolm X visits Smethwick near Birmingham following the racially charged 1964 United Kingdom general election. The 13th of February, 1692, and we had the massacre of Glencoe, where almost 80 Macdonalds at Glencoe, Scotland, are killed early in the morning for not promptly pledging allegiance to the new king, William of Orange the 14th of February, 1807, eight people in Bristol were fined by magistrates for not sweeping the pathway outside their houses. Also on the 14th of February, but in 1852, Great Ormond Street Hospital for Sick Children, the first hospital in England to provide inpatient beds specifically for children, is founded in London. The 15th of February, 1952, And King George VI of the United Kingdom is buried in St George's Chapel, Windsor Castle. The 16th of February 1923, Howard Carter unseals the burial chamber of Pharaoh Tutankhamun. I fear that's the end of another show, but don't worry. I'll be here same time, same place next week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you're ever passing, then don't hesitate to pop into the inn because it is truly a fascinating place and it reeks of history. You don't even have to go into the museum to see the posters, some of the artifacts from many of its incarnations. And it even has its own brand of rum, made from a recipe, I was told, by the owner, found locally in an old recipe book. Before the show ends, I really do have to thank Joe Wilson and Sam Roberts for their contribution to this show. As well as Karen from South Bristol Paranormal for the initial invite to go down to Jamaica Inn. We all had an amazing time and it was great to meet such fantastic people. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show is about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.